who you would bring. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 as we continue our journey through the book of Daniel. As we open up this very familiar chapter of Daniel, it's the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the burning fiery furnace. Let's remember to turn ringers off phones. Let's be seated and ready to receive the word as Father we come. And we ask that you would just take your word and, and touch our hearts with it. There is so much here that you want to, Lord, for us to be attentive to, to make application to. And Lord, um, even though this is a very familiar portion of scripture, I think that most of us, that we know what the chapter is before us. But Lord, just take these truths and work it deep within our hearts and lives. Because all of us will find ourselves in this place, in the day in which we're living in. We find ourselves in the plain of Dura, being told to bow down to the image of Babylon, the image of the world. And there are fiery trials that come as we say no. And I do pray, Lord, that you would just bless our time together and, and Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would grow in just being refined in the fiery trials that we go through. That's the work you want to do. We would grow in faith, that we would have boldness and confidence in you in the day in which we were living in, in your word. So we commit this time to you in the study of your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names that were given to them over 20 years previous to what we're reading here, this event uh, recorded for us in chapter 3. As in chapter 1, they were brought as captives just as they were teenagers, 14 to 17 years of age, along with Daniel. The 70 years of captivity of Babylon would begin at that time. They are brought to Babylon as eunuchs to be trained in the literature and language of the Chaldeans to serve before the king. Their given names, these three, were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are mentioned in chapter 1 as standing firm for the Lord and purposing not to defile themselves with the king's meat and wine. They are also mentioned in chapter 2, praying with Daniel to have Nebuchadnezzar's dream revealed and the interpretation of that dream. Now keep in mind, when that was taking place in chapter 2, that Nebuchadnezzar was very angry with the wise men who could not tell him the dream that had troubled him and, and the interpretation of the dream. So he made a decree to have all the wise men of Babylon to be put to death. And they know, these three here, that the king, he doesn't have any problem putting people to death and chopping them up in little pieces and making you know, their homes a, 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 you know, an ash heap. And in chapter 3, as these three stand before Nebuchadnezzar, refusing to bow down to his image that he had made, they know that they're going to be thrown immediately into the burning fiery furnace. And we end it with them responding to Nebuchadnezzar, that our God is able to deliver us. And if not, if he chooses not to deliver us from the fiery furnace, we will not serve your gods, and we will not bow down to your image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
mentioned 13 times in this chapter. After chapter 3, we don't hear from them anymore. The word worship is mentioned 11 times, and certainly that is a central theme in this chapter. And you recall that Nebuchadnezzar, 20 years previous to this, in chapter 2, when Daniel came along and gave him the dream that troubled him and the interpretation of the dream. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw this image. It was an image of a man. It was splendor. It was awesome. And it was made of different metals. And it represented the different empires that would come on the scene from the time of Daniel, Babylon, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you are, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. But your kingdom is going to be replaced by another. And as we see 20 years have passed, Nebuchadnezzar has absolute rule over the known world. He has crushed the last rebellion of Egypt, the last rebellion of the Jews there in, in Israel. We read about that in the book of Jeremiah. And as he has absolute rule, all of a sudden he makes this image here of all gold. It's 90 feet tall. It's 9 feet wide. It's an impressive image. And he does it, I believe, in defiance and rebellion to that dream that had come from the Lord 20 years previous. And he makes this image all of gold. And it's like Nebuchadnezzar was saying, that my kingdom will never fall. I will never be replaced. Not knowing that historically we know that Babylon would fall to the Medes and the Persians some 50 years from this time that we're reading here in chapter 3. The image he sets up six miles south of Babylon in the plain of Dura. He gathers, verse 3, as we read last week, all the officials of the government of Babylon. And when the different kinds of music were played, they fell down. The command was given to worship the golden image. And if you do not, you would be thrown immediately in the burning, fiery furnace. So as I mentioned last week, that there are some scholars that believe that this dedication of this, this image... There could be between 200 and 300,000 people that are here at this ceremony, and the music began to play. And before them is the image that they bow down to, and also there is a burning fiery furnace that is burning before them as well, because they know that they would immediately be thrown into the fire if they don't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And as the music played, all of a sudden, all these people hit the ground except for the three that are before us this morning. And it was told to the king. It was told to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you set over the affairs of Babylon, that they have not bowed down to your image. And they have not paid due regard to you. And they don't serve your gods. And Nebuchadnezzar was very angry about that. So he calls for those three. And he says, is this true? And you either bow or you're going to burn. And that's where we left off. They responded to the king by saying, we have no need to answer you in this manner. We're not going to bow to your image and we're not going to serve your gods. And I want to have that kind of heart, don't you? I mean, I want to have that kind of confidence and I want to have that kind of faithfulness to the Lord. I don't want to bow down to the images of the world and Babylon that is before me. I want to stand firm for God and be faithful to him. And as most of you know, what we are going to read as we finish the chapter, that because they stood firm for the Lord, they received favor from the Lord. And remember that it was Nebuchadnezzar that said in verse 15, And who is this God that will deliver you from my hands? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is about ready to find out. 
as they encourage and in boldness tell him, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. We are not going to bow down. And then we can, in our day in which we live, we know that we find ourselves in the plain of Dura. To where you and I more and more are being told to bow to some pressure, some acceptance, something that Babylon says, you serve this. You bow down to that. And if you don't, you're a troublemaker. You're not accepting. You're intolerable. You're narrow-minded. And you're thrown into a fiery furnace of some sort of persecution because you won't bow to the ways in the world, to Babylon. And these three men here, that they show you and I, that we can trust him in the fiery circumstances and demands of the world and culture, and that he is sovereign in all of it. And he will deliver us one way or another because we are in the Lord's hands. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that we're in the Father's hands and no one's going to pluck you out. And he is sovereign when we are promoted like these guys were in chapter 2 and will be at the end of this chapter. But he is sovereign if the fire comes to me and we learn from this chapter. So let's pick it up in verse 19 as we read that Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury this is after the, the three guys brought before him. They said that we are not going to serve your gods in verse 18. We're not going to worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, loses it at this point. In verse 13, in rage and fury. Now in verse 19, he's full of fury. And the expression of his face changed. In other words, you could tell it by the countenance that he's very angry. Can you, you can just picture what it must have been like? Just beat red, just full of anger. Just uh, He is so full of fury, so full of wrath. And a little side note as I was thinking about that is... What is your countenance and what is my countenance? I have met more Christians, I think, over the last couple of years as we see the things that are going on around us. And it, it can make us angry. It can upset us. But they're so angry. And when you t talk to them, they're just angry and full of fury. And what's your countenance? What's my countenance? And what I hope and pray is that they would see something of the Lord on our face. Stephen, when he stood before the Sanhedrin council, they, they are going to stone him. The first martyr recorded, first Christian in the book of Acts, as they ended up stoning him to death. But Stephen, as he's about ready to give his testimony, he's standing before the religious leaders. And it says that they were looking upon him and he had a face of an angel. And then he says he gives a testimony and he gives truth. I think about Moses there in the book of Exodus in chapter 34. He's up on the mountain of God, and he comes down. He had been spending time with the Lord, receiving the law of God. And he comes down, and, and his face is shining, and he says, thus says the Lord. And they're going, okay, thus says the Lord, and thus says the Lord. And they're going, okay, Moses, man, your face is shining. Put a veil on. Sometimes parents... With their kids, we have to lay down the law. 
Sometimes we say, you're not going to go there. You're not going to be a part of this. Well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is going there. No, not you. But what is your countenance? Is it full of anger, fury on your face? Or can they sense something of the Lord? The countenance of the Lord, the excellent spirit within us. You see, there's only one way that I know that we can do that, and that's to be like Moses and spend time with the Lord. And here is Nebuchadnezzar full of anger and fury. In verse 20, he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their outer garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Notice the word, verse 20, to bind. Verse 21, bound. We'll see it again in verse 23. And whenever you see a word that's repeated in just a couple verses, um, it's important. It's like the Lord is saying, you need to pay attention to this. Because that is what Babylon does. That's what the world does. It will bound you up. In worry, in anxiousness, in fear, in confusion. And the king is so furious that he commands that the furnace be seven times more hot. Turn it up if you could do that. And usually what they would do is they would strip the prisoners, the ones who were going to be executed, of their clothes before they threw them into the burning fiery furnace. Here... The command is so urgent, he's so angry that they're bound up in their clothes, they're bound up in their coats, they're bound up in their royal garments and turbans. And as they're being bound, the furnace is being heated up. Remember, all the people, this is before the people in this dedication ceremony. This is all acting up out before them. And the officials that we see once again are going to be mentioned here of Babylon in verse 22. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, or that is very harsh, and the furnace exceedingly hot. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They've ex- done some excavations there in the plain of Dura, and they believe uh, some of the evidence that they've excavated, maybe perhaps some of uh, the remains of these furnaces, and they believed that the furnaces were fairly large, and, and they had to be, because we're going to read that four are going to be walking around in the furnace, and it was kind of a cone-shaped furnace, and it had a, a door in the bottom, of course, where they would put the fuel in, and then there was a hole up on top. But also Nebuchadnezzar, as the door that they would put the fuel in, as they were drop into the burning fiery furnace, he would be there in his portable throne. And he liked watching people burn up. So there he is. He, he, he would be on his portable throne as they would be dropped in, and they would burn up. And up above, there would be a catwalk. And this catwalk, they would escort those who are going to be executed. They're bound up. Usually they would be stripped but they would be bound up and they would come down that catwalk and then drop them in the hole that was on the top. And as they're heating it up seven times, the flames are bellowing out of this top of this furnace. It's so hot. And I can't imagine what it would have been like for those three men as they approached the furnace. So hot was the furnace that the flames killed the men who had tossed them in. 
I mean, these, these mighty men, these men of valor that Nebuchadnezzar didn't even care about, what a horrible scene that must have been. The screams of those men, all who were there to see them burn up on fire. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall down in the midst of the furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And look, I imagine he's just yelling, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fort is like the Son of God. Now, in the Aramaic, it's, the, it's translated the sons of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar is saying the fort looks like a divine being. We, how many did we cast in? We cast in three. Uh, I see four. They're walking around. They're not hurt. And the fourth is like a divine God. Of course, we know that it is the Son of God. He rose in haste. I think he's just amazed and he's overwhelmed and he's fearful. Look, do you guys see this? Now, this is what theologians call a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of the, the furnace. In verse 26, as we continue reading, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. The king comes to the opening of the furnace as close as he can. And he yells out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now remember, as I've already mentioned it, that last week that he said, and who is this God who will deliver you from my hand? Well, you just met him, Nebuchadnezzar. And he truly is the most high God. Come out, come out, you guys. And I just suspect that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to come out. We would rather be here in the furnace fellowshipping with our Lord, talking with our Lord, than to come out and have to listen to you, king. And then in verse 27, they were examined. It's almost like a legal description here. These officials saw that the fire did not harm their bodies, which means that they stripped them of their clothes. Their clothes weren't burnt, their coats. They are not burned. No hair was burnt, singed. They are smelling them. They didn't smell like Smoke, and they didn't smell like fire, burnt flesh. That is a very powerful smell. It's a very detailed examination. And then as we finish reading the chapter, we read in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people's nation or language who speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces 
and their houses should be made an ash heap. He's amazed, but he's not any nicer, is he? Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What can we take away this morning? I think some very important things in this familiar chapter of Scripture to most of us, if not all of us. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 for you note-takers. He writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I think that most of us that have passed through the services this morning, that we know that we will face fiery trials. Jesus said you will have tribulation, not that you might, but you will in this world. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And we are told by the Apostle Peter not to think it's strange when it happens. The fiery trials that are to try you, not to destroy you. Don't think as though some strange thing has happened to you. And oftentimes when we go through the fiery trials, they come our way, we begin to think, Lord, why? And I don't understand. And there's all kinds of thoughts. And Lord, why are you allowing this trial to come my way? And I begin to feel like I'm bound up and drop into the furnace by the enemy to be roasted. We begin to wonder, Lord, do you see me? Lord, do you know what's going on? Are you with me? We wonder, Lord, do you even love me? Does your love remain? And immediately we begin to think that it's strange. And then you have the enemy, who's the accuser of the brethren, who accuses us day and night, as Revelation chapter 12 says, the Lord doesn't love you. You're, you know, he's not with you. He's left you. You can't trust in the Lord. So I want us to know that, number one, that if you're here today and when in days ahead you go through fiery trial, to know this, that you are beloved, number one. You are loved. His love remains with you. Don't think it's strange, the fiery trial that you're in, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering. And it is then when Babylon and the commands of the world tell us to bow to this and serve that, when you say, I can't and I won't do it, the Christians at the time that Peter is writing his epistle, that they're being persecuted. Caesar Nero came along and put Peter to death and Paul to death. He's burning the Christians at the stake. He's feeding them the lines. After Caesar Nero came Domitian. Domitian killed many thousands of Christians as well. And Caesar is a title. And so what they believe is, is that what you are to do is you're to take a pinch of incense. You're to burn it on the altar of Caesar. And, and then you can go and worship any god that you want. You can go ahead and worship Jesus. You can worship any other god. They, the Romans had many gods. But you have to make allegiance and say that Caesar is God to him. And the Christians said, no, we will not do that. So they're experiencing persecution because of that and death. You are beloved. Don't think it's strange, the fiery trials that you go through. Second of all, 
Not only are you loved, but second of all, that this trial, as I already mentioned, is not to destroy you. It is to try you. There's a testing of your faith. It's to refine you, the refiner's fire that we sing about. You know, they take gold and silver and they melt it down and then the dross, the impurities come to the top and the silversmith, the goldsmith scrapes it off. That's what happens if we allow the Lord to just do the work that he wants to do. It's not to destroy you. It's not to tear you down. It's to try you. It's to build your faith. It produces patience and endurance and has this perfect work that is bringing that maturity to you that the glory of God may be revealed through us as he's working in the fiery trials. It is to purify us as we're trusting in the Lord and looking to him. It's like here it is spring, and this summer we love to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, don't we? And the trees up there, the bristle cones up there are all gnarly, aren't they, as you get up towards timberline. And the reason that they are is because of the winds that are so strong come down from the mountaintops and they blow against those trees in the harsh conditions and people go up there and they take pictures of those bristlecone pines the artists draw them and they sell them in galleries so even though they're all gnarled up and everything there's a certain beauty that is there and as the winds of adversity come blowing into your life the Lord desires to do a work of beauty in you that the excellence may be seen in you as you trust in him, as you allow him to work. There is a testing of the faith. There is a refining that takes place. So you are beloved, number one. The trial is to try you, to perfect you, that is mature you. Thirdly, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, Oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's such an incredible prayer. Paul says, oh, that I may know him. I think, Paul, you're the one that wrote most of the New Testament. That you were taught by the Lord, the gospel. Oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. Usually, we stop there, right? We say, Lord, I want to tell mountains to be gone. <laughs> you know, I, I want to move in great power. But Paul didn't stop there. He said, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And to know that in the fiery trials and hardships and the losses, that there is a deep level of fellowship that you can have with the Lord. Hosea Hosea, what you're to do is you are to take for yourself a wife. And Hosea did. And she went off and she committed adultery, played the harlot. And the Lord said, Hosea, you bring her back. You restore her. You love her. And he did. Hosea was so heartbroken. And then she went out and committed adultery again and played the harlot again. Hosea, what you're to do is bring her back, forgive her, you're to love her. And Hosea is so heartbroken. And what was going on in the heart of Hosea is that he was feeling some of the things that the Lord was feeling as he watched his people go off into spiritual adultery in the play to harlot, serving other gods. And here's the Lord. He's saying, oh, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? A term for his people. How can I give you up even though you're playing the harlot? He was feeling what was going on in the heart of God. 
in the trial that he was going through. Abraham, Genesis 22, God appeared to Abraham seven times, and each time he brought Abraham into a deeper level of fellowship until finally, as it says, that God tested Abraham. And he said, go to the mount, Abraham, that I'm going to show you and offer your son as a sacrifice. And Abraham went to that mount, Mount Moriah, and with his son Isaac walking alongside of him up to the top of that mount. And Isaac has the wood of the sacrifice on his back. And as Abraham was about ready to, to plunge the knife into Isaac, the Lord said, Stop, Abraham. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you fear me. He was entering into the fellowship of his suffering because Abraham was allowed to feel somewhat of the father as he watched his son with the wood of the sacrifice on his back walk up that same mountain 2,000 years later. And it is Abraham that called that place the Lord will provide Mount Calvary. And 2,000 years later, there was no stopping the sacrifice. Because Jesus would go to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins. And through your seed, Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. When you read David in the Psalms, I love reading the Psalms, particularly when I'm going through a trial or a difficulty or I'm just downcast. Because David was so articulate and he would be very honest. Lord, that my enemies surround me. Lord, why am I downcast? He, he would talk about his pillow being soaked by his tears as he was crying all night. But yet he cried out to the Lord and he drew closer to the Lord during that time. That from the ends of the earth I'll cry out to you, Lord, when my heart is overwhelmed. Is your heart overwhelmed this morning? You feel like you're at the end of your world? Call out to him. He says, attend to my prayer, O Lord. You're my protector. You're my provider. You're my joy. And the reason that David had a heart after God is because he drew close to the Lord during those times and would find himself in that deep level of fellowship with the Lord, rejoicing in him. In the trials that we go through, usually what can happen is, is we have a tendency to pull away from the Lord. We begin to back off. We're no longer praying. We're no longer going to church. We're no longer trusting the Lord. Listen, don't do that. Draw close to him. Don't pull away from him. And to know that he promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. You are beloved. He's doing a refining work in you. There's a deep level of fellowship when you go through the trials. And then fourthly, listen, Nebuchadnezzar sees them not only having fellowship with the Lord... But the only thing that got burnt on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember they were bound up? The only thing that got burnt were the ropes that had them bound. He says, I see four men loose. You know the one who was really bound up? It was Nebuchadnezzar. He's bound up in pride and arrogance and anger. He's the one that's bound up. And when I find myself in a fiery trial and I'm trusting him and entering into the fellowship of his sufferings and know that I am loved by him, the things that have me all bound up, the worry, the anxiety, the fear, the doubt, begin to be loosed. 
And I not only am trusting in him, but I'm resting in him. And I'm standing on his promises. And I discovered that he's with me in the midst of the furnace, and I find myself that the things that are got me all bound up begin to burn away so I can walk freely in the midst of the fire with my Lord. And I just wonder if these guys knew, and I think that they did, but Isaiah 43 declares, For fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now in the sight of the unbeliever, quickly. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse 28, he spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who, number one, trust in him. They trusted in him. In the Aramaic, it means to have confidence in the Lord, assurance in the Lord. They had their hope in, in the Lord. Do people around you and me, do they see that we're trusting in him, in his word given to us, when we find ourselves in a fiery trial? Or are we trusting in the world? We trust in the ways of the world. I pray that they see that we're trusting in him, in his word. Secondly, that brings us to, you guys have frustrated the king's word. When we go through trials and challenges, people of the world will say, well, this is what you need to do. This is what everybody else is doing. Uh, This is what you're to bow down to. And these three men had trusted in the Lord to where they didn't bow down to the king's command. But to the command of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, trusting him and his word given to them. And as people see that we don't bow down to the world, even though the heat is being turned up, that God is going to be faithful to his word given to you, to his command given to you. And it is true what Isaiah declared also in chapter 46, in verse 8. That remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10. Listen. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have the last word. Babylon didn't have the last word. The Lord had the last word. And his word will stand. His word will stand for you and for me and be true for you and for me. And then thirdly, the witness that they were, as Nebuchadnezzar says, you you yield your bodies. It means to give that which is due so that They should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. And as you and I yield to God what is due our hearts and our lives, even though we're told not to, I know whom I have believed, Paul would write at the end of his life, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day when we go through a fiery trial and through the hurts and through the loss, we don't always know why. Or what, what's going on, or when. But we do know who. We know who we have believed. And we can know for sure 
what has been committed to him, that he is able to keep that which is committed to him until that day when we will stand before our Lord and we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You know that he is going to finish that work that he's doing in you and you know whom you have believed and a God that is true and faithful and it will bring you home and he sees what you're going through and his love remains. So Nebuchadnezzar changes his mind here like he always does. Absolute rule. Says I make a decree now and he could do that. Any people's nation languages speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be cut up Homes made an ash heap. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. But see, he's not converted yet. He says, your God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 28. Your God is a great fireman. He hasn't said, my God. That comes next week. Chapter 2, he did the same thing. Chapter 2, he said, Daniel, your God is a revealer of dreams. He's amazed. But you see, God's not through with Nebuchadnezzar he's going to humble him and next week we're going to see his testimony we're going to see that he's going to give a testimony to all the world next week is going to be a great encouragement for that person you think God can never reach them oh yes he can if he can reach Nebuchadnezzar he's able to humble that person that you're praying for so I know that you'll be greatly encouraged next week as father we thank you for this time in your word we thank you for Lord, this account before us that we can come and look at it once again and be reminded of these very important truths given to us that as we face the images of Babylon in our own lives and the fiery trials that we go through, that we know that you love us, that, Lord, that those trials can refine us. And, Lord, there's a deep level of fellowship as we look to you and call out to you that your word is true for us because we know whom we have believed. Father, I pray for those who are in a fiery trial or who are hurting, that they would know that they could trust you and rest in your promises and just rest in your love. I also want to pray for anyone who may be here listening online or on the radio later that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ for salvation, forgiveness of sin. He has provided that. He is your salvation. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it would be shortly after that, the next day he would go to a cross and he would die for your sins. He cried out, it is finished. He was buried and arose again after three days. And he is alive, and he proved that he's the Son of God and making atonement for your sins. And he is your salvation. There is none other. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. For you to repent, quit going the direction you're going, and turn to Jesus and call out to him. Whoever believes the Lord Jesus and confesses with their mouth that God raised him from the dead shall be saved as you sincerely come and say that I need forgiveness and call out on the name of the Lord that you will be saved. You can do that right now.
If you're not right with God, listen, tomorrow's a promise to any of us. And Jesus has provided forgiveness and eternal life and right relationship with the Father. And you can come and you can pray sincerely in your heart that Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me on Calvary's cross. Forgive me, a sinner. And that you rose again and you are alive. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and your love for me proven on the cross. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. I thank you that I belong to a kingdom that will last forever in this new beginning. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Lord, for all of us, as we walk out of this place, just having the boldness and the confidence to be faithful to you, Lord. And Lord, to know that we don't have to think it's strange when we go through the fiery trials. For Jesus has overcome the world and you are working and you see us and we are still beloved. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?